Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. We are in a new series this month. We are still in the book of James, but we are in a series called Contradictions. And hopefully you got a bulletin on your way in. And if you didn't get a bulletin, make sure you download the Portico app and all your notes and updates will be there. And we are looking at this month what happens when the cultures and customs, which are common in Canadian culture, run head into the cultures and customs of what would be normal in Christianity and the kingdom of God and where the contradictions lie there. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you had to rethink everything about what you thought the way that life worked, what you knew about how life worked, you had to change everything. Maybe you immigrated from a different country and what was normal now was completely different than what used to be normal. Maybe the way that people treated one another. Maybe how often you used the horn when you were driving. Maybe the kinds of foods that you were eating. Maybe the kinds of language you were speaking. For me, I've never changed countries, but mine happened when I got married and I moved into a new family. When I, moved, when, I, when I met in Amanda's family and began to integrate into their family, what I found out is that every time you saw a new person in that family, you absolutely had to hug that person. There, were, there was no option. You were, did anybody grow up in a huggy family? Anybody grow up in a non-huggy family? Yeah. So when you immigrate from a non-huggy family into a huggy family, it's a very different world for you. When we were happy, we hugged. When we arrived, we hugged. When we left, we hugged. When we were bored, we hugged. I grew up in a family where on my wedding day, my dad gave me a very firm handshake and said, congratulations, son. But not in Amanda's family. There were no handshakes. It was nothing but hugs. There was even bear hugs from grandpa where he squeaked. Grandpa was a, like a short wide man who could really crush a human being who was of my stature and he would give bear hugs and pick you up and this is what we did every time we saw each other it was a brand new way to operate and I was very unfamiliar with it for a while and now now I'm I may be an over huggy person now you may meet me but it's not me it's the family that I have moved into but when you have an experience like this you get conflicted about, well, what's the right way to operate? I've lived this way all along until, boom, something changed, and now I have to live completely different. Or, or do I change, and do I live completely differently? Well, when you come to Christ, you have this same experience because you've been living one way and then all of a sudden you're into a new family, you're into a new place of living and we have to go, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to operate and make decisions? Because the kingdom of God has very different principles and customs and ways of living than the kingdom of humanity has. I didn't grow up as a person of faith. It was in my teenage years when I was confronted with this teaching that told me the best life that I could ever experience, the best way that I could ever live, was one that was going to restrict some of my primal urges and restrict some of the things that I would experience in my life. It would limit things. It would limit, it would, it asked me to, as a teenager and a young adult, limit your sexuality for benefits that you'll experience later in life. 
when I was just starting to get a job and get money, it said, give my best dollars to the church because that's the best way to be a steward of money and trust that God would give money. It said, volunteer time and be a steward of your time and you'll experience a fulfilled life. Deny yourself, supposedly, for the benefit of yourself. This was the culture and the custom that was being uh, that was being presented to me. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to change everything about the way that I thought was right and normal to live and start to live by these new principles? And in this series, we're going to wrestle down some of these contradictions that we have had to face as a person who has lived in one way and now as a person who is entering the kingdom of God and saying, I'm going to choose to live in another way. The kingdom of humanity is something that surrounds us every day on a daily basis. Our politics, our jobs, our schools, our systems, that is the kingdom of humans. And we're going to contrast it with what the kingdom of heaven looks like. How is a Christ follower supposed to have residence in the kingdom of humanity, yet live in the kingdom of God? So we're going to read James chapter 2 together. And why don't, why don't we stand together as, as we read? If you have your Bibles, we're going to read it out of NIV. So let's all stand together. We're going to read James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to read verses 12 and 13. And we're going to really pinpoint some of these verses. But here we go. James chapter 2, 1 through 6, starting, uh, starting at verse 1 in the NIV translation. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? Or I would substitute the kingdom of humanity. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Now let's skip ahead to verse 9. Here's what it says. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. You favor some people over others. You are guilty of breaking the law. Let's go to verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you're challenging us through your word. And we ask that this morning, as, as we study, as we look at these words, as we, as we share some thoughts about it, Lord, I pray we would be open to being shaped by your word. That we would not feel like we would come with the answers, but we feel like we would come with an open, um, open tableau that you could begin to paint on us your way of living, your the principles of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would go and live differently because of our time together in worship and in study of your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if you are on a journey of being a Christ follower, this passage teaches us that you can no longer be managed by the principles and customs and rules of this society Canada, Meadowvale, 2018, we must begin to look at the principles of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God functions very countercultural. 
quite often in opposition to everything that would make sense in this world is the way that he wants us to live. And James lays out a few of these, and we're going to be open to being shaped by God's word as I just prayed this morning. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, whether on pen or paper or in your app, there's uh, both ways to do it. First one is this. Avoid favoring those that would advance us. Avoid showing favor to people who would advance us. Canadian culture advocates that if you live a life that seeks to get something from almost every relationship, that's the way that you're going to get ahead in life. Students, young people in the room, do you know how to suck up to teachers and receive an easier mark? You don't. You're lying to me. Do you know what you can do? Do you know if, if you sit close, if you, if you respond well, if you say, you know, when I was studying, this is why I did such and such. Can you help me understand why I didn't get a, a level three or a level four? I'm not, I'm, now, I'm not calling out my daughter, who may or may not have these conversations with her teacher regularly. I know all students have these conversations. You know the kinds of conversations that can manipulate the teachers to get a better mark. You know how to massage that relationship. Men, do you know what the mother of your children wanted for Mother's Day? Hopefully the answer is yes. <laughs> did you, now, did you have any ulterior motives in making sure you knew how to give the right gift? Did you know that the rest of the day will go better for you if you gave the right gift this morning? And FYI, the gift they're about to receive from underneath these uh, tables is not the gift that she wanted for Mother's Day. Trust me, this is not, not going to be the be-all and end-all of the Mother's Day gift. We know how to give gifts. We know how to have conversations. We know how to get into relationships that will advance us and make our lives easier. Reflection question for you this morning. What percentage of the decisions that you make on a daily basis are based on what's good and right, and what percentage of the decisions you make on a daily basis are because it will get you further ahead in life? What percentage of decisions are you making because that's the way the kingdom of God tells us to operate? And what percentage of the decisions do you make because, hey, this will make my life easier at home, work, with my friends, at school? James 2.1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? The context in which this was written was a Jewish church that had the rich people seated up front and the poor people seated at the back. They, they made it very blatant. They said, if you have wealth and you have importance, we're going to put you nice and close up front. Now, I notice, Colin, you end up sitting in like the front couple of rows like every week, right? Do you want to switch paychecks or is there something that I'm not understanding that's going on right now? The rich are seated, the rich are seated up front. The, it, was, it was a chance in the Jewish church to say, I'm going to, we're going to make sure that anyone who would make our life easier Anyone that would give us benefit, we're going to give them priority so that the church could be further. And we still do this, maybe not in church, but we do this in our society, don't we? We have seats of honor. The front row at award shows or at, or, or, or at sports games, they'll come and they'll make sure that Drake gets to sit right front row when the Raptors games are going on or, or anyone that would be on TV that would make it look like, hey, the popular people are here, the influential people are here. We have luxury boxes at theaters, or if you're doing a benefit fundraiser, you're going to make sure somebody seats that person. You're going to make sure somebody serves that person so that maybe they'll give you more money. You give honor to people that benefit you greater, or you know how to work that relationship. 
I remember when, when we, were, we were visiting New York, and we, we were, uh, Amanda and I were there a couple of, couple of years ago, and it was, uh, we had done all the, the typical things. We had gone up the tower, and we'd been to Central Park, and we'd seen the Statue of Liberty, and it was, and it was Sunday morning, and we were saying, well, we're on holiday, but yeah, maybe, maybe we'll go to, ch- we're, we were trying to decide, should we go to church? But I had seen enough shots at Hillsong, New York of Justin Bieber in Hillsong, New York, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we saw Justin Bieber at Hillsong? So we went there, and we're looking around, and Justin wasn't there, by the way. Actually, even their campus pastor wasn't there that we wanted to see. Carl Lentz wasn't there. But I went to a church, not just because I wanted to go to church. I actually went to a church because there were superstars that were there, and I wanted to see if we could be there. The church isn't supposed to function this way, giving priority to certain people that bring honor. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 3 and 4 say this, aren't you living like people of the world when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul? And he was writing to the Corinthian church because Paul was the superstar around there. And another would say, I'm a follower of Apollos, another prominent leader in the church. Aren't you acting just like people of the world when you start name dropping, saying, I go here. There were people in their world that were dropping names of big shots in the religious world, saying like, I'm a part of so-and-so's church, and I I go to this church. I'm a big deal because Bieber's at Hillsong, or Stephen Furtick's got a church here in Toronto. That's the concern of the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of God. I want us to consider the journey that we've been on over the past year together. Discovery Church was a church that was existing as independent for 12 years and recognized that what was best was to not worry about the name or the history of a church and look for the church with the best resources to make sure that Discovery stayed as is because they wanted to highlight a name but said, where is a church that we can join with that we can grow into a family worth? And Portico said, you know, we'll come as alongside, we're not concerned about a name, we're not concerned about a building, but we are concerned about each other as brothers and sisters, and our stance in life should not influence our response. And that's why we're so excited about this meeting on May the 23rd, because we're not looking at how can we maintain the history of any church. We are saying, how can we together join in a new expression of God doing something new so that we would all be planted in a place where we're connecting with each other, growing and serving, and helping people find their way back to God. We're not looking about what preserves our history, but we're looking at what is the way to function as best as one family upon the principles of the kingdom of God, to favor one another, to honor one another, to to love one another in humility and not look at what advances us, but look at what advances the kingdom. And it's not been an easy journey. And for any of you who have been involved in leadership and the transition and serving and the merger, it's one that we go through very very cautiously and very slowly. But I've actually been extremely impressed with the leaders and volunteers and ministry partners in the church to say, we're not looking at what's better for us and what's easier for us. We're looking at what's best for God's kingdom. Because it's a complete betrayal of how the kingdom of heaven is supposed to function when we say, how can I maintain my standing and my status within our little kingdom? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 20, James and John, who were very close friends of Jesus, they were two of the disciples, 
they had their mom come and fight a battle along this way. Now, I don't think you want to mess with any Jewish mom, but, but maybe especially one that, that had influence. And, and she comes to Jesus, and, and she got down on her knees, it says, in Matthew 20, and she begs Jesus. She, she said, Jesus, if you could just listen to this one request that I have, it would be so amazing. And Jesus, being the, the kind, loving man that he was, said, sure. And in Matthew 20, 21, he, she says, promise me that one of my two sons may sit at your right hand in your kingdom and promise me that the other would sit at the left hand basically saying make us important in your kingdom and in your church and it's just not supposed to work that way in God's kingdom there's just not supposed to be superstars there's just not supposed to be those whose name means more the fight that we are supposed to be having is the fight for the benefit of someone else and the, actually, the fight we're supposed to be having is the fight for someone who would not bring benefit to us. Philippians 2 and 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourself. And Jesus used the family analogy to help us understand this. Ask any mother on the record, does she have a favorite child? Now, the kids may have an idea of who's the favorite, <laughs> But ask the mother, does she have a favorite? And every time, what will the answer be? What's that? No. The mom, yeah, the mom's yelled it out. No, I don't have a favorite. The mother will always say, of course I don't have a favorite child. I love every child the same. And then the mother will go on to explain, and this is why this child gets this, and this is why this child needs more discipline, and this is why this child needs more freedom, and this is why this child has more opportunity. They will explain why they need to give different things to different children, but they will always say, but I love each child equally. I function a little bit differently with them. And Jesus used the analogy of a family. Because we can look at our lives and we can say, you know, this person has this. And James was writing, well, there's rich and there's poor and there's influential and there's not. And sometimes God deals with us differently. We have different amounts of influence and resources. But he loves us all the same. And we are all equal in his family. Proverbs 22 two says this, rich and poor of this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And we are all equally loved by God. And if we are trying to live by the principles of God's kingdom, then we need to love and respond in the same way. Which brings us to the second point, which is this. Show favor through God's law of love. And we chose those words, law of love, very critically because James refers to the law in that passage that we were reading. He said, you'll be, you'll be set free by whatever law, you'll be judged by whatever law sets you free. So for 4,000 years, the people of God who were in God's kingdom had a law of rules. If you sin, you had to kill a certain animal. If it was the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to prepare food. So I hope everyone made lunch already because you're not allowed to go and make Mother's Day lunch now because it's Sabbath, right? There was rules about on holy days, there was no sex before holy days. What, was you, what were you up to last Saturday night? I don't know. I don't want to ask that question. There were, there were 613 laws, in fact, that they had to follow. There were 10 commandments that were given, which were actually just groupings 
of the statutes that the laws fell under, each had over 50 sub-laws in those 10 groups. So they would say, you must not steal. Now let me explain what constitutes stealing. You must worship only God. Now let me explain what constitutes worship only God. There were 613 laws. And Jesus comes in and he wants to usher in this whole new experience of, I'm going to not get away, do away with the 613 laws. I'm going to fulfill them. And I'm going to usher in an era that is the law of love. He didn't make the Old Testament relevant. We need to study it. We need to understand it because it defines how God operates with humans. It gives us context for who God is. But he did make some changes to it in fulfilling it. James 2, 8 and 11 says this, if you keep the royal, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. In his fulfillment, he didn't say it's just specific things. It's all encompassing now. It's feelings, it's thought. In Jesus' words in Matthew 22 said, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, love God and love others. Now listen, we really suck at doing this most of the time. Two weeks ago, there was a horrible ice storm in the middle of April, right? Like, like when does it ever have this ice storm in, in April? I had to shovel four times in one weekend ice that was piling up on my driveway, and I was cranky and I was angry. Now let me ask you this. How much of your neighbor's driveway did you shovel during that ice storm? Love your neighbors. The entire law of the commandment, the the entire law is summed up in this. Love your neighbors the same way you loved yourself. How many times did you shovel your neighbor's driveway during the ice storm? Zero. (laughs) No, I'm not even going to go into that. But (laughs) here's a better question. Even let's go a little deeper. How much of the ice from the end of your driveway ended up on your neighbor's driveway when you were flinging it over your shoulder because you were so cranky about it? So you weren't only helping them, you were making it worse for them. But Jesus said the entire law is summed up. If you love your neighbor the way you love yourself and you love God that same way, then you're doing right. And if not, you're in sin. The laws of the kingdom are this. Anything that would feel good for you Do that for other people every time, always. That's the teaching in James. It should influence how we spend our money. I like it when people spend money on me. Last week, somebody said, you know what? I know how much you love the Raptors game. I've got two playoff tickets to the Raptors game, which turned out to not be a great gift. But it was actually... (laughs) Actually, it was the best game that that, that they played that whole series. But I, I liked it. They gave me Raptors tickets. So what am I supposed to do next time I have Raptors tickets? Send them pictures for me and Amanda at the Raptors game? Like, wish you were here. <laughs> should we inf- it should influence how we use our time. I, I have so much work to get done. Around. There are 8,000 dandelions on my lawn already, and there are, there are all kinds of things I have to get done around my house but there are all kinds of things that have to get done around my neighbor's house and my friend's and family's house too. It should influence how we make decisions. Reflection question for you. What did you intentionally do for someone last week that showed them love? Did you do anything that intentionally showed, that was sacrificial, that said, I will get rid of my time for somebody else's time? And that's what God's love looked like. It brings truth and it brings grace. To live 
by God's law of love is to live in full truth with others and full grace with others. And that means we speak the truth and then we give opportunity over and over and over again. With my kids, with your kids, we will correct them how many times? How many times will you correct your kids this week? Jesus said, like, the number he gave was 70 times 7. Hopefully, you're not going to have to correct your kids more than 490 times this week, but it's possible that you might have to correct them that many times. And then what are we supposed to do? Treat them with that same amount of love. That's what it means to love the way God loves. Never getting frustrated and losing our temper and our frustration and our patience with our kids. How easy is it to do? This teaching that James brings is is transformational. And he said, listen, it's not going to be what's normal. It's going to be like moving to another country. It's going to be like marrying into another family where everything that is instinctual, you're going to have to go, "Uh, just because I feel that way, just because I have responded that way in the past, it may not be the way I'm able to respond now because I'm no longer living for me. I'm living in God's kingdom. This is not easy stuff. And no one said that following Jesus was easy. We do believe it is worth it. Because this, our last point, the law that sets us free governs our actions toward others. Jesus came and he experienced death. We celebrated that in communion. He did not deserve to die, but he did it so that I could have freedom. And so what he asks me to do, he said, I loved you in a way that I gave up everything from, of my own so that you would have benefit. And now, Rick, what I'm asking you to do is love the same way. Whatever would be to your detriment but someone else's benefit, that's the way that I want you to love. Make sacrifices so that someone else's life is easier. And if you do that, You are truly my follower. And we're going to get into this next week because James speaks very, very intentionally and at times very harshly to what faith without any kind of action looks like, to what self-serving faith looks like. And if you read ahead, you'll see he actually calls that faith dead. But we'll get into that next week. But life is not complicated. Whatever you saw Jesus do, just do that. It's not complicated, but it's extremely difficult. The law that Jesus brought was one that said, love others with full grace and full truth always, every time. James 2, 12 and 13. And then he said, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives you freedom. I'm going to ask our teams to come back. And over the course of this month, we're going to be responding on Sundays with a song that's called Trust. And I wanted to put up some of the lyrics before we get to singing it this morning. Here's what it says. I don't know how the story ends, but I know that you finished it. I'll close my eyes and just let go, and I'll fall into my only hope. There's safety in falling when I surrender fully. I put all my hope in you, and Jesus, I will trust you. And the chorus goes on just to say, Jesus, I will trust you. And if we were honest this morning, we would probably say to one another that we have not necessarily been living lives that demonstrate this level of trust. If we had to be honest, we would say, there are so many times when I am more concerned with a relationship that gets something for me than I am with a relationship that costs me something. And I favor people that that get me ahead. 
or I manipulate somebody so that I get something from them. And James says, that's sin. When you choose how you will love and who you will love. There are those of us that we hold our, our grudges really close and we hold on to them for a long time and we offer forgiveness seldom. And Jesus said, love like all, the, the law that sets you free is the law of love. And the law of love says, I will forgive 70 times 7. I will give grace to people that don't deserve it. And I will do it over and over and over again no matter what it costs me because it's to your benefit. That's the law of the kingdom. And Jesus came on earth. God has always loved this way. But Jesus came and lived on earth to demonstrate to us that this is the way that life was intended to work. And he looks at everyone across the crowd and he says, you are all equal and I love you the exact same way. And you all deserve relationship with me and you all deserve relationship with each other. And he says, do whatever it takes to make sure that you have this kind of relationship, even if you don't like what that means for you, because that's my kingdom. It's Mother's Day. And I have a, I have a, a friend who will struggle this year on Mother's Day. Because when she was a baby, her mom put her up for adoption. Her mom hid from her her whole life, and she struggled as an adult to find her mother. And even when she found her mother, her mother, her birth mother was upset because she was fearful that because she was found, it might ruin the new life that the birth mother had created apart from my friend who had lived her whole life not knowing who this birth mother is. And as my friend's birth mother has aged, her health has failed, and she's in fact pushed most of the supports that she's had in her life away, and the only one who is left to take care of her is my friend, who lives two hours away, was abandoned by her mom, and was even cursed out by her mom for trying to reconnect with her. And what do you think my friend is doing on this Mother's Day? Driving two hours to care for a woman that does not deserve her love. And the only reason she... Some would say, well, you're, you're just... You're just asking to be hurt more. You're just asking to be let down more. And she would say, no, I am not. I am demonstrating the gracious love of our Heavenly Father who laid down His life for me when I didn't deserve it so that my life could be different. And I know that all of us, we're going to get together with different friends and family over the course of this day and we're going to celebrate Mother's Day, and there will be some who we will look in the eye and will say, it's easy for us to love, and there will be some we will look at, and it's not easy for us to love. And whether it's a Mother's Day celebration or whether it's just the course of your life this week, you're going to look people in the eye and say, I like you, I don't like you. <laughs> and here's what God says. I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I will treat you all the... In fact, those who are harder to love... It will, might cost more, but I'm going to lay my life down even so much more for that person. Now, can you live a life that loves that way? That is why we're going to sing a song that says, Lord, I trust that when I don't worry about my own benefit, you will take care of me. When, God, when I love someone that doesn't deserve it, I'm not going to worry about how they're going to respond or what that might cost me. I'm going to trust that as long as I love the way you love, you will make things work out. Jesus called this the law of love.
So as we sing this song, who is the person that you need to love differently? Will you trust God that if you live and love like he did, that life will work out for you? And if you can trust God enough, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we are going to sing this song as a response that, Lord, I will love as you love me first. Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, thank you that we can put our trust in you. And Lord, I pray that this week, as we encounter situations where it is difficult to love the way that you love, where it is difficult to live by the laws of the kingdom and is much more easier to live by, by the instincts and the beliefs of Rick, Lord, I pray that you give me strength. Lord, I pray that you give me your grace, that I will continue to make those choices so that I will love people, those whom it's easy to love, those whom it's not easy to love. God, I thank you for the way that you loved me first and the way that you demonstrated it for me. And Lord, I pray that I will be able to bring light and life to every relationship that I have, whether it be at work, in my neighborhood, in my family, on my street. Lord, I pray that I would bring your presence. Thank you for your spirit that has been with us, that has challenged us. And we ask that you would continue to, to speak to our hearts as we go our separate ways in the course of this day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.